This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollack. Hope you enjoyed your weekend. It was chilly. Sure didn't feel like spring. Uh, There is free legal services available for low-income and elderly Missourians. We'll tell you about that. Tomato School is coming in May for small Missouri farmers. And the NFL Draft is coming to Kansas City on Thursday. The bidding process took seven years. We'll find out how it all came together. Missouri Department of Economic Development is looking to help a workforce shortage in Missouri by awarding an $800,000 grant to train 300 University of Missouri students as nurse assistants within MU Healthcare. Anthony Morbeth is with Robin Harris at the Sinclair School of Nursing, who's behind the grant. So thank you, first of all, for uh, offering us the opportunity to share um, some of the programming that we're working on here at the Sinclair School of Nursing. So I have the I'm fortunate that I get to serve not only students, but as being part of an academic health center, we also meet regularly with our academic practice partners, so the individuals at MU Healthcare. And despite we know what's on the news about the nursing shortage, we see statistics about the nursing shortage, but when you're talking with your colleagues and peers who are in the hospital setting, um, it, it becomes very real that we want to be part of the solution. We educate them. They want to hire them. And one of the pieces that they had uh, talked about that was a challenge with getting more nurses was that they wanted to move to uh, a team-based model of nursing, which um, it's just a, a different way where you have a nurse and maybe an LPN or a tech and you take care of, of, a, of a grouping of patients rather than I'm the one nurse and I take care of, of these four patients all, all by myself independently. And they wanted to move to team-based nursing because that help does help facilitate when you don't have enough registered nurses, but they didn't have enough um, unlicensed assisted personnel. The UAPs, they call them different things, techs, nurse assistants, nurse extenders. They did not have enough in their pipeline so that they could even attempt, right, to um, try a different model of nursing to see um, if that helped with, with the acute nursing shortage. So um, as being a part of that uh, grouping, we're, uh, we have a workforce subcommittee. We said, well, what if we could educate them for you? We're right here next door. And what if we took took that piece on? So I worked uh, collaboratively with um, MU Healthcare and then also uh, my co-PI uh, primary investigator on this, Jennifer o- Dr. Jennifer O'Connor. And we started thinking about, well, how could we train um trained students who are enrolled in in our pre-nursing students, because once you get to nursing school, after your first semester, you can work as a a tech, as an unlicensed assistive personnel in the hospital setting. But we have hundreds of of nurses, hundreds of health profession students at the University of Missouri who are in their freshman and sophomore who can, who if they were trained appropriately, uh, could be working in our hospitals, um, sit for uh, certified nurse assistant uh, certification. And then even when they travel home to their home communities, they might be um, a student here at the University of Missouri, but they may be from the Boot Hill of Missouri. And when they go home, um, they would be able to take that certification or that training with them and get jobs in their own home communities. So that's kind of how it budded, a local need in, com- in combination with the need to really help um, ease the shortage across the state. So to not necessarily bury the lead, so to speak, $800,000 from the Missouri Department of Economic Development, a grant which runs 
through 2026 will train 300 University of Missouri students as nursing assistants within MU Healthcare. And I think that that's extremely important because uh, the University of Missouri is trying to help, as you said, ease the nursing workforce shortage. So uh, how did this grants come about? Obviously, we've identified the need and uh, you're obviously the grants primary investigator. How did we get from point A to where we are right now? So one piece is that um, we have an excellent uh, research, our associate dean for research. Uh, her name is Dr. Deidre Wipke-Tevis. Um, her, her job and also being part of a research research one facility, and I think uh, the importance of MU investing in research is that they look for these grant opportunities. And so um, our associate dean had seen this uh, come across as a funding opportunity, um, and she had sent it out to um, myself. She sends them out to the faculty at large when we see grant opportunities. And it was a uh, good timing because we had just had that conversation. We knew there was a need. And then we had the resources due to our, our support of research at the University of Missouri um, to help us uh, get a grant, sub- a grant proposal submitted. And if you're just tuning in, we're talking with Dr. Robin Harris, an associate dean, rather the associate dean of academic affairs at the St. Clair School of Nursing here on Show Me Today, talking about ways to help ease the nursing workforce shortage here in Missouri. And what immediately comes to my mind, I'm going to say maybe about a month ago now, I had an interview with a member of the Missouri House of Representatives and and what the state government is trying to do to help basically do the same thing. And he represents Mexico, Missouri, a bit more of a rural part of the state. And the reason why he brought this up and why he's wanting and hoping the state helps address the same thing through, uh, again, grants and things like that is because uh, he represents an area that lost two uh, medical facilities within the past couple of years and just how his focus was more on uh, rural Healthcare, not just places like St. Louis, Columbia, Jefferson City, or Kansas City, but how there's such a need for these uh, workforce, the, these nurses and, and these nursing assistants in a, a small Missouri. One of the pieces I think that because this is a workforce development grant, obviously um, we're working in a partnership with MU Healthcare, but um, beyond the grant, after you know our three years of the grant um, has ended, our funding has ended, we want to continue this initiative and also to be able to expand it um, and also be a model for other universities across the state who currently don't offer. Um, a lot of times we have separated this kind of training into a, a career center. And so students who are often in, in high school they may not be taking career center credits, right? Because they're university bound, which is great. Um, but and being university bound, sometimes they're missing out on some of these trainings. So right now at, at let's say four year institutions who, who don't have this, which we're just creating, you have to wait two years until you get into the nursing program. If you get into a nursing program, which has limited seats, um, before you could get that job in the healthcare setting, um, or you have to go find your own training program. And it just made sense to offer a course for college credit. So students are paying tuition for a course that leads to a certification that even if, and we would love 100% of students who come to the University of Missouri to graduate from the University of Missouri, but the reality is that 100% do not. And so 
um, life happens, different things happen, but that this leaves you with an, an employable skill. You will have, after this one course, the ability to earn wages, not, not only at MU Healthcare, but healthcare agencies across the state, clinics, long-term care agencies. So it, in, it's a benefit because they're not only learning the information and we're allowing college credit for it, so it contri contributes to their degree, but it's also an employable job skill. They can leave and make, um, I think currently we're looking at like $19 an hour, which is a good wage. So this is uh, this grant is going to create a three credit hour elective course within the MU Sinclair School of Nursing, helping nearly 100 MU students each year earn paid part time positions within MU Healthcare as nursing assistants. And I think the other thing that's worth highlighting and mentioning as we bring this uh, discussion to a close is it also helps the University of Missouri retain students instead of moving out immediately when they graduate. Right. That's another goal is um, having individuals, um, if you start out in a career tra trajectory or with an organization. So um, if you start out as a, a patient care technician, and, and there's lots of words for these unlicensed assistive personnel, depends on the facility. But basically, if you start out in this role and then um, I've been there for two years and then I get into nursing school and then I am now become a nurse, it would be hard to leave somewhere that now you have maybe three or four years of time and service. You know the individuals, you know the the organization, you you like the culture, you like the people. Um, we want to make it a really hard decision to leave, right? In especially, terms of to go anywhere else. Yeah, especially if it's going to be in your own hometown. I mean, why would you want to leave your own right. hometown after you graduate, right? Right, right, exactly. Dr. Robin Harris, Associate Dean of Academic Affairs at the Sinclair School of Nursing here on Show Me Today. And uh, by the way, if you're just tuning in late or if you want to hear more, subscribe to Show Me Today on Apple or wherever you get your podcast. And obviously, if you want more information, check out the Sinclair School of Nursing. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. A Shiro's work is never done. You care for the house, the kids, and our future. We're so grateful for all you do. Now, it's time to care for yourself and save a little more for retirement. A free three-minute online chat can give you the personalized tips you need to boost your retirement savings now. Visit aceyourretirement.org today. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Talking to your kids about the dangers of vaping can be hard. Getting them to listen to hot gossip is easy. So here's some drama you could share with your kid. Dude, did you hear about Cassie and Jake? No, but did you hear that vaping can cause irreversible lung damage and nicotine affects brain development? <gasps> Nuh-uh. You don't need to gossip if you want to have an open conversation about vaping. So if you want to get tips on when and how to talk to your kids, visit talkaboutvaping.org. Brought to you by the American Lung Association and the Ad Council. As a truck driver, I've learned how important road safety is. I know that large trucks need more time and room to stop. That's why I always hang back and follow other vehicles at a safe distance. Everyone can help keep our roads safe. Next time you're driving, try to remember to always give trucks extra space when you merge in front of them. Let's all plan to share the road safely. Learn how at www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. 
Vaping is not safe for youth. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals into your body. And nicotine, which can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping. Because when you talk, they hear you. Learn more at underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollack. And for small farmers across Missouri, you might want to be interested in what MU Extension is offering, Tomato School. Here to tell us more about that is Justin Key. Justin, uh, nice to talk with you again. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Bill. All right, Tomato School. I'm interested to hear what this is all about. Yeah, so um, MU Extension and some other partners uh, host the Missouri tomato school every year. Um, you know, tomatoes are Missouri's biggest selling specialty crop, um, but they, they can be challenging to grow successfully. So the whole deal with tomato school is we really want to help uh, Missouri tomato growers kind of take their tomato crop to the next level. Tomatoes are the, the biggest selling? Uh, tomatoes are the biggest selling specialty crop. So when we think about specialty crops, you know, fruits and vegetables, nuts, mushrooms, and things like that. But oh. yeah, they're, they're the biggest selling specialty crop in Missouri. Yeah. What makes them difficult to grow? Is that just in general or, or here in Missouri? What makes it difficult? Well, you know, there's a lot of things to manage to successfully and profitably grow a crop. You know, there's always um, insects pressure. There's always disease pressure, which in our humid climates um, can be particularly challenging, um, you know, and to manage irrigation and fertilization successfully to not only grow a tomato crop, but to grow a tomato crop profitably. Um, you know, there's a lot of moving parts. There's a high expectation of quality standards from customers. So we're trying to help folks, you know, really connect the dots and, and be successful. Justin Key from MU Extension here to talk about tomato school, and uh, and this is more geared towards smaller farmers. But uh, describe for someone that's not familiar with farming what a small farmer is. What what are we talking about in terms of how many tomatoes they're growing or how big of land? Yeah, so um, you know, specialty crop growers in Missouri are really diverse. You know, I mean, we have um, you know some fairly uh, large vegetable farms that might be, you know, 20 acres or more, but a lot of our uh, small farmers, you know, might be growing on, you know, five to 10 acres. Um, we have a lot of folks that grow for market, for farmers markets. 
Um, but we also have some growers that are serving produce auctions that are scattered throughout the state of Missouri. Um, other growers might be selling into small grocers or selling to vegetable brokers um, that are working with restaurants. And, and there's folks that might also be selling uh, directly to restaurants. So, uh, you know, specialty crops might be small in acreage compared to row crops, but they can have a big economic impact uh, on the community and the state of Missouri more broadly. Yeah, I was just going to ask you if uh, we would see some of these tomatoes at farmer markets uh, across the state. And I know Columbia has a, a big one, too. So all right, tell us a little bit more about the tomato school, how long it is uh, and what it consists of. Yeah, so uh, we have a lecture day on May 16th. We're going to bring in national tomato experts, uh, regional experts from different universities, as well as tomato farmers. Um, we have a lot of great classes in that lecture day. Uh, the cool thing is that folks uh, can attend in person or via Zoom. So the lecture day will be in St. Louis, um, but you can also register and attend that uh, live streaming via Zoom. And so that's on the 16th. Um, on the 17th, we'll have farm visits in the St. Louis metro area. And then on the 18th, um, folks can have an option of choosing to go to farm visits in the Springfield metro area or in the central Missouri area right around Centralia. So with this event, we tried to make it as accessible as possible to folks statewide to be able to attend uh, both the lecture or a choice of farm visits. And what will uh, people learn on those farm visits? So, you know, we'll be visiting, you know, successful tomato growers, some of them growing in the open field, some of them growing in high tunnels and greenhouses. Those farmers will share, you know, their successes with the crop, some of the challenges that they've had with the crop. They'll talk about, you know, their production cycle, um, how they're raising transplants, how they're fertilizing, how they're managing pests, you know, how they're managing the tomatoes after they're harvested, before they go to market. So, um, you know, I think it's always helpful with these farm visits just to give people an idea, you know, what does this really look like out in the field and, and what are some of the experiences that farmers have had that might be valuable um, to our attendees of our tomato school. Justin Key from MU Extension joining us, talking about their tomato school that they'll be putting on uh, later in May. Uh, is there uh, an advantage? Is, is one easier to grow uh, in an open field as opposed to under tarps and greenhouses? Uh, does one have an advantage over the other? Yeah, you know, uh, there's kind of been an explosion of high tunnels, which are unheated um, greenhouses essentially covered with plastic. Um, there's been a lot of those put up across the state over the past decade or two. Um, the nice thing about high tunnels is they do allow folks to get an earlier planting and therefore an earlier harvest. Um, you're, you can also really manage the irrigation. So, you know, by keeping the heavy rainfall off the tomatoes, um, you know, you can kind of manage the irrigation better. Um, but yeah, that season extension a little bit in the high tunnels, you generally have a little more uniform quality. Um, you know, tomatoes in the field can get beat up by hail, um, you know, heavy, heavy rains, you can get fruit cracking. So, the high tunnel just provides a little bit more of a controlled environmental condition um, that allows you, in some cases, to create, you know, a, a more uniform quality of product. 
Justin, you said this uh, tomato school is more for uh, smaller farmers that have some acreage, but is there uh, an advantage for someone that maybe doesn't have acres but has uh, a pretty big plot maybe uh, behind their house uh, where they could find something like this useful? And and are they welcome to attend? Yeah, yeah, um, they're they're welcome to attend. I, I would say the the lecture day might be a little bit higher level. Um, so, you know, we're really going to dive in depth. And so, you know, farmers who are currently growing might have a little bit more familiarity with it. But, you know, if you're thinking about growing tomatoes for market, um, you know, even if you maybe you haven't started growing for market yet, but you're, you've been growing for a while and you want to make that next step, I think this could be uh, very helpful for folks. Do you see tomato farmers on the rise in Missouri? Yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, they're they're serving different markets, but yes, we have a growing um, group of produce auctions in the state of Missouri. You know, there's been growing interest in locally sourced foods, um, you know, over the past decade or two. And so, you know, we see a lot of folks getting started and especially crop farming and tomato farming. Um, you know, it's for the most part, it's everybody's favorite vegetable, if you will. Um, and so there's always going to be a high demand for it, whether that's from grocers, restaurants, or, or local consumers. And um, yeah, we, we just kind of see that continue to grow over time. And there's so many varieties of tomatoes. Uh, if someone wants to attend this school, does it matter what they're, what, what business side they're in, uh, what they're growing or? Um, you know, we're going to, we we are going to touch on varieties, but yeah, I mean, whether you're growing, you know, heirlooms or cherry tomatoes or some of our hybrid varieties, indeterminate, determinate varieties, you know, the information that we're going to provide is going to be helpful to all those different kinds of folks. Yeah. Justin, all right. Uh, one more time, the dates and how people can sign up for tomato school. Sure. Uh, so May 16th is the lecture that's either in person or via Zoom. Uh, May 17th is farm visits in the St. Louis area. May 18th is farm visits either in Springfield or in central Missouri. Um, folks can check out MU Extension events and search for Missouri Tomato School. Um, if they have any uh, additional questions, they can call 314-400-2115. But um, all the registration is online at that MU Extension events. And uh, we look forward to seeing folks at Tomato School. Yeah, MU Extension, one of the uh, many events, the great events that they uh, put together here for Missourians. Tomato School, looking forward to it. Justin Key, uh, appreciate the time. Great to catch up. Excuse, yeah, the, pun, thanks, excuse the pun there with the <laughs> tomato. <laughs> great to catch up. <laughs> I, yeah, I did not no, mean I that. I, that, was not, <laughs> that was not planned. <laughs> I appreciate the pun, Bill, and uh, thanks for having me on as always. <laughs> yes, yeah, sounds good. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Meet Ed, movie buff, animal lover, safe driver. Five years of driving an ambulance teaches you a thing or two. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. When I see a car trying to rush past a turning bus, I get concerned. You see, when big vehicles turn right, they have to swing wide to make the turn. And that's a lesson you don't want to learn the hard way. When trucks and buses turn, let's you and I wait. It's, it's our roads. It's, it's our safety. safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. If you're talking, they will hear you. Oh, no. 
Why are we getting killed like this? Kyle's not here. Got caught drinking during the park a couple of nights ago. Really? Yeah. Zero tolerance. He's out for the season. Harsh. Hey, he knew not to drink. We've made that clear to all of our kids, right? Uh, no, not really. Bill, if we don't tell them what we expect and why they shouldn't drink, how are they going to know? Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. You try all the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Hi, it's Tori DeVito. In every family, small conversations can make a big impact. Like when my dad shared his experiences as an alcoholic. Your honesty about that part of your life gave me a sense of integrity that I wanted to uphold in my own life. I wanted you to know from someone who's been in recovery more than 30 years now that hard work is what creates success, not alcohol or other drugs. I said it a lot, and I'm glad you took it to heart. Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control and priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana, in vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping, because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Email from school about the incident today. Scary. Tell me about it. Did you have any idea that was going on? None. I mean, you saw Derek at the game last night, too. Did you have a clue? No, but you know, teachers like me, parents, we don't always know as much as you guys do. Kids hear first about what's going on with other kids. Half the time, it's rumors. It can be hard to tell sometimes, but if you're ever concerned about a friend who's having trouble with alcohol, prescription drugs, bullying, violence, anything, you need to tell an adult. Mom or me, a teacher, coach, school counselor, someone you know and trust. Dad, no kid is going to tell an adult about that kind of stuff. I get it, but if we don't know, we can't help. Speaking up about a problem, that's what helping a friend is all about. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Since 1956, Legal Services of Eastern Missouri has provided free legal help for over a million low-income and elderly Missourians with civil issues. Four legal aid offices exist around the state. Elisa Nelson talks to Jeff Miller about what the offices offer. Legal services, what we do is we provide uh, legal services, free legal, civil, 
legal services, advice and information to for low-income people and the elderly. Our company covers 21 of the most eastern Missouri counties. In our area, I cover 13 of the most northeastern counties in Missouri. And what we do is we give represent, uh, representation, again, to the people that can't afford it. And remember, we are just a civil uh, law office. We don't do any criminal work whatsoever. With that said, though, we provide our biggest by far would be domestic violence representation in the family law end. We do a lot of uh, divorces, uh, paternity, custody cases, a lot of orders of protection. But we also do housing problems, eviction, landlord-tenant disputes, and we even do bankruptcies to, uh, for some people. We also get involved in claims for disability, welfare, and medical assistance, and we also, last but not least, we do elder law, and we, uh, we have various agencies that we work with throughout the northeastern part of Missouri that, that uh, great agencies to work with, and it works out well. I think we provide a great service for up here, and, uh, and the people up here are very receptive of the services. So, um, are there other legal services offices in Missouri besides yours? Yes. In fact, with ours in, in uh, eastern Missouri, known as uh, Legal Services of Eastern Missouri, we have four other, uh, three other offices. I'm sorry, let's count mine. But we have an office in Union. We have one in Clayton. And we have our main office that is in St. Louis. Now, there are other legal aids in Missouri. There is uh, uh, Western uh, Missouri Western Legal Aid. There is Midmo Legal Aid, and there is Southern Legal Aid. So there's four legal aids that cover encompass the whole state of Missouri. How many roughly do you serve each year? Roughly in our office, we're a little bit over 400 each year. And um, but that can fluctuate also. Right now, we're still coming down off of the pandemic, and uh, we we learned a whole lot in that in that time frame. We now in our court cases, a lot of them were doing WebEx hearings. Uh, some of them were doing uh, in person, and the the legal world changed a whole lot and adapted a whole lot to something that hit us like we'd never been, had never seen before. Jeff Miller of Legal Services of Eastern Missouri in Hannibal joined Show Me Today. I'm Elisa Nelson. You know, you talked about serving free civil service for low-income and elderly uh, clients. So what are the requirements exactly? Well, there's a lot of requirements, not a lot of requirements, but one of it is income. Income is is one of it, but that's not total requirements of it. You know, the qualifications, they'll go through consultation with a, a representative about if they qualify. And and a lot of it is, you know, do what assets do you have? And and assets and income usually are the, the biggest part of all of it. And there's a calculation that they come to. 
on whether you are qualified for our services or if you are not. And if you're not, we still send you to someone that we think, you know, if they call our office here in Hannibal, we'll say, well, there might be this law office here that might be able to help you. Or there may be another another service that might be able to help you. How How's your office looking, by the way, in terms of do you have enough attorneys to handle your caseload? Well, that's probably the best question you could have asked of the day that I like to talk about. Right now in northeastern Missouri, we are we're suffering a lot with uh, attorneys coming back into the northeastern part. Uh, a lot of law firms have shut down. A lot of them, when the attorneys, uh, sole pro- uh, proprietors, whenever they retired, no one replaced them. And you go back to the days when we started here in, in Hannibal 30 years ago. I read, uh, I had, had read, we have a lot of volunteer attorneys that, that work for us also, not just staff. We have some poly- volunteer attorneys. Up here, we call them Judicare attorneys. And they'll take some cases for us and, and do it at a, a pro bono uh, rate there. But uh, anyway, whenever I was doing some research, whenever I first came here 30 years ago, we had almost 40, I think it was 48 Judicare attorneys that uh, would help us out. Now we're down to less than a dozen. And it's not that the, the attorneys that are around aren't helping. It's just we we don't we seem to be suffering in the rural areas of drawing attorneys back to the rural areas. And, and you know, it, it's something that in my 13 counties, I, I can give you an example. If I went up to Clark County right now, there's one attorney up there. If I went over to Schuyler, there's there's one there and there's one in Scotland. So our whole upper tier, there are three attorneys. And that's the problem that we run into here. As far as our office-wise, you know, we still have the same thing. We're still trying to draw uh, a lot of times a lot of younger people from law school. A lot of them, it's a good start for them. They 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 learn well, and and a lot of them, it's their passion. This is something in our business. You got to have the passion to do what you're doing, and that's to, to help the people. And I wish I had more attorneys, but uh, I will say this much. Our company has done a fantastic job of uh, recruiting and uh, and bringing attorneys in. So it works out pretty well. Are you looking to hire more attorneys? And if so, you know, talk to me a little bit about some of the uh, benefits of working at Legal Aid. Well, I think, uh, yes, we're, we're always looking to hire more attorneys and to bring uh, bring people in. Benefits of working at Legal Aid, uh, there, there's, I think there's a lot of benefits in it. One, you get to, you're going to come into a place that has uh, attorneys that are well experienced. In other words, like in our office right here, uh, we have we have about sixty about sixty four sixty five years of experience right now. So if a young attorney comes in here from law school, you get to learn that experience, the law experience from the attorneys that we have here. The other thing is 
the the people that you get to meet. You get to meet people right where they are. And that's it's they're they're coming in. You're you're getting to see this is the 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 groundwork of the of the legal world. You're getting to see people that they need you. They need you bad. And um that's it, it just when you when you leave here at the evening you feel that you've done you've done a lot of good work for people and, and that that's that passion that's there. The other thing that's not a bad thing is this is also an opportunity, you know, sometimes people come in as young attorneys and they've got a lot of uh they've got a lot of student loans. You know, when you do public service work, student loans uh, so often they can uh uh, take away some of your student loans on it. Well, if people are interested in your services and or would like to work uh, for you, how can they contact mm-hmm. you? Well, first of all, I'll give the main office number. That's the one in St. Louis. And uh, they can t- contact us at the 314-534-4200. Or there is an 800 number there, and that is 800-444-0514. We all make choices about alcohol. Kids make choices whether to drink or not. Bye, Dad. Remember, I'm going to Alex's party tonight and sleeping over. Hey, uh, remind me about that party again. And adults make choices whether to talk about it. That's true of parents and every other trusted adult in a kid's life. Kids want to know our expectations, and they want honest answers in everyday conversations. So talk with your kids and help lead them on a positive path. Because when you talk, they hear you. Learn more at underagedrinking.samsa.gov. I'll be here to hear what's on your mind. As an adult, kids want to know you're listening to them, but they also want to listen to you. When it comes to alcohol, they want to know your expectations and how and why to avoid underage drinking. Talking early and often about it in everyday conversations reinforces your message and keeps lines of communication open. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Over the past few years, the COVID-19 pandemic has affected how we live our daily lives. Today, one in five Americans experience emotional and mental health challenges, but many of us do not understand what we are facing or how to ask for help. At the American Psychiatric Association Foundation, we work every day to eliminate stigma, combat mental illness and substance use disorders, and advance mental health. If you or someone you love needs help, you are not alone. Please visit mentallyhealthynation.org to learn more. I see you finally got a new helmet. I did. Bought it cheap online. (laughs) Follow me. We'll turn off here. I'm right behind you. Watch the cars. They can be crazy. Teddy! No! Are you okay? Somebody do something! Was this young man hit by a car? Yes, and his helmet is smashed. It's a brand new helmet. It's probably a fake. Fakes cause real harm. You're smart. Buy smart. Brought to you by the National Crime Prevention Council and the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. 
Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. We're back on Show Me Today. First, the Super Bowl, and now the NFL Draft. They anticipate 100,000 people each day around Union Station for the NFL Draft. The Kansas City Sports Commission says this process took a long time to bid for. Cameron Connor is with Elliot Scott to discuss the three-day event. The NFL Draft is from Thursday, April 27th through Saturday, April 29th. And each day, what you can expect is the fan experience. So that's kind of this everything NFL draft, whether that's interactive exhibits, fun local concessionaires, all of that will be on the south side of the National World War I Museum and Memorial. Then on the North Lawn, you're going to have a viewing area for the NFL draft stage. And that is the massive structure being built in front of Union Station right now. And that's where all of your traditional draft programming is going to take place. So during the day, you'll have the NFL draft experience on the south side. And then in the evening, you'll have the NFL draft programming followed by a concert each night. Okay, great. So definitely all-inclusive, definitely something that brings more than just just football it's <laughs> the, the draft is a festivity that <laughs> even though that's the main stage it kind of just brings everything else with it to keep the party rolling in a lot of senses is probably one of the best ways to describe it what about how about how long this is taking to set up not like the physical stages and stuff like that but for kansas city to reel in and convince the nfl that this was the next place that the draft was going to be held can you give maybe just like a little bit of an estimation like when that process started and how this was convincing and, and things like that Sure. This process has been years in the making. We we initially had these conversations, preliminary conversations, almost seven years ago and and have gone through the bid process since then. And, you know, we were awarded it several years ago. Then COVID happened. So this has really been an event years in the making for Kansas City. And it's so exciting to finally see it come to fruition. Exciting is definitely correct. And for those of you just now listening, this is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. We're talking with the Kansas City Sports Commission's Director of Marketing and Communication, Elliot Scott, talking about the overall setup for the NFL draft and basically the the festivities that are going to go on that day and all around the NFL draft itself. When you talk about impact for the actual city, Elliot, I I don't think there's any other way to describe it that the attention that Kansas City is currently getting, especially in this decade, I don't even know if it's comparable as far as the overall attention. So talk about the importance of having the draft in Kansas City. Certainly, it feels like Kansas City is on the brink of a new a new chapter, a new era, so to speak, with, you know, in a, in a few short days hosting the 2023 NFL draft, but then also securing the 2026 World Cup. Those are, you know, massive economic impacts for our community and really our region. It's much broader than just the Kansas City Metro. So to bring such high-profile sporting events to the Metro region is is huge and will definitely have a lasting impact on Kansas Cityans and the communities around us for a long time to come. 
But I guess, is this a good, I guess, stepping stone to figure out the influx of people? What are the amount of people that you expect to enter the Kansas City area for this? What What's that like? I mean, this is... What's so unique about the NFL draft is the influx of people who come from all over the country and even international fans travel in for it because all 32 teams are represented. And so that's unique versus, let's say, a Super Bowl where you're having fandoms from um, two teams represented. And so it really is a national and international event that's pulling people from all around the world to come right here to Kansas City. I guess one of the things that I'd like to go back to a little bit is maybe just some of the symbolism of the placement of the stage and everything itself. For anyone who's been through the Kansas City area, yes, they know where the World War One Museum is and Union Station. But there's also a lot of Missourians around the state that maybe haven't gone that way or maybe it's been a while. So from the fountain set up in front of the stage to the location of the stage and such itself, can you describe the decision process for why the location is where it is? When the NFL draft chose Kansas City, I think they knew from the beginning they wanted a really iconic venue. They wanted something representative of the city's history, something that was tied to its passion for sports. And both the National World War I Museum and Memorial and Union Station have been the backdrops for our celebration parade, so Royals and then two for the Chiefs. Um, and, and really, it's, it's a focal point for downtown Kansas City. Um, Union Station continues to bring world-class exhibits. And so it just it feels like it's the heartbeat of the city. And so it's really special that that stage will be constructed right in front of Union Station. And something that's unique to Kansas City's NFL draft is they're actually choosing to not cover the back. And so... The backdrop of the stage will actually be the literal facade of Union Station. It's definitely a great way to, I guess, be representative of what everything Kansas City means and the location. To your point, it's probably I think it's probably a no brainer as far as where they chose to put this thing. When we're talking about for the fan experience overall, how can fans get involved? What exactly do they have to do? Do they have to register to anything? Where do they go to be a part of this? So. The, gr the great news about the NFL fan experience is that it is free to attend. Um, of course, there are, you know, costs associated with merchandise or food and drink, but all you need to do is download the NFL OnePass app that's available um, on Android or Apple devices. And that's what will, um, one, get you into the event, but then, two, it is also what's used for some of the interactive exhibits, so things like the 40-yard dash or throwing a Hail Mary, um, there will actually be an interactive component you'll use the app for. And, of course, um, something something that's important to note is there is the NFL clear bag policy in effect. So just like if you were attending the Kansas City Chiefs game, um, you will have to have a clear bag, and there is a number of restricted items. So for all of that information, I would recommend either going to the NFL.com's draft page or Visit KC also has an incredible resource guide for people coming for the NFL draft. Very similar to when the Chiefs last parade or any of their parades when, when they've won Super Bowls or similar to the Royals when they won the World Series is basically a lot of that area usually from Union Station up through like that Grand Boulevard, Plaza area. A lot of the roads and such are closed off. So when you talk about the public actually commuting to the event, 
is there a certain way that I guess you recommend is best to go through it? Or is it kind of <laughs> all hands on deck or, you know, first come, first serve? What about the transportation side of things? Yeah, transportation is a, is a critical component of this event. When we're talking about having 100,000 plus people there each day, that's, that's a massive amount of people. And so our transit plan reflects the many different ways in which you can access the draft footprint. And so, of course, um, you know, we, we know that people love their cars, and so there are plenty of park and walk options. We have over 40,000 parking spaces downtown. Um, and so some of those spots might be first come, first serve. Others might be pay to park. But um, definitely a lot of parking spots within the downtown area that make it walkable to the draft. We also have our Kansas City streetcar, which is free. And so that'll be running north and south on Main Street. It stops a couple blocks north of the draft footprint. So that's a fairly short walk for people. And then we also have things like we will have a park and ride shuttle that goes from the West Bottoms. There are dedicated ride share drop-offs. Um, there is a dedicated ride KC Max, which is our Kansas City's uh, rapid transit line, our bus system that will run fairly close to the draft footprint. So all of this is to say there are many different ways that you can actually get to the draft. And so what I would recommend is if you're traveling from out of town, See where your hotel is, look at the draft transportation info, and then just choose the, the medium, so to speak, that's best for you. Because, you know, if you're parking, if you're staying downtown in River Market, jumping on the streetcar might actually be your fastest option versus trying to drive closer and park. This has been Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Cameron Connor. We've been here with the Director of Marketing and Communication for the Kansas City Sports Commission. We're talking about the overall encompassing plans of the NFL Draft 2023 that's going to be kicking off, starting off April 27th. So for anyone in the area that wants to head that way, make sure to do so. And for anyone who hasn't maybe listened to the entire interview or wants to go back later and hit it or share or anything like that, make sure to search Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri, and you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Show me today.